Bashan. Next we turned and went up along the road toward Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, with his whole army, marched out to meet us in battle at Edre. The Lord said to me, Do not be afraid of him, for I have delivered him into your hands, along with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. So the Lord our God also gave into our hands Og, king of Bashan, and all his army. We struck them down, leaving no survivors. At that time, we took all his cities. There was not one of the 60 cities that we did not take from them. The whole region of Argob, Og's kingdom in Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls and with gates and bars, and there were also a great many unwalled villages. We completely destroyed them, as we had done with Sihon, king of Heshbon, destroying every city, women, men, and children. But all the livestock and the plunder from their cities we carried off for ourselves. So at that time, we took from these two kings of the Amorites and territory east of the Jordan, from the Arnon Gorge as far as Mount Hermon. Hermon is called Syrian by the Sidonians. The Amorites call it Sinir. We took all the towns on the plateau and all Gilead and all Bashan as far as Seleka and Edre, towns of Og's kingdom in Bashan. Og, king of Bashan, was the last of the Rephelites. His bed was decorated with iron and was more than nine cubits long and four cubits wide. That's 13 and a half feet by six feet. It is still in Rabbah of the Ammonites. Division of the land. Of the land that we took over at that time, I gave the Reubenites and the Gadites the territory north of Eror by the Arnon Gorge, including half of the hill country of Gilead together with its towns. The rest of Gilead and also all of Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. The whole region of Argob and Bashan used to be known as a land of the Rephelites. I commanded you at that time, the Lord your God has given you this land to take possession of it, but all your able-bodied men armed for battle must cross over ahead of the other Israelites. In Numbers 21, 33 through 35 NIV. Then they turned and went up along the road toward Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, and his whole army marched out to meet them in battle at Edre. The Lord said to Moses, Do not be afraid of him, for I have delivered him into your hands, along with his whole army and his land. <clears throat> Do to him what you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. So they struck him down, together with his sons and his whole army, leaving them no survivors, and they took possession of his land. The children of Israel often found themselves in battles where, for all intents and purposes, they should not have won. As long as they did as directed, where God empowered Moses, they beat the odds, and they won. God's promise of the promised land was true. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. If we look back, we see the children of Israel in bondage in Egypt, working for Pharaoh. No life, no freedom, no food, no shelter. Nothing they had any control over. But as God promised, Moses led them out of bondage into the wilderness. They had just enough 
They had enough food. They had enough water. It might have been just enough, but just enough was enough. They always had just enough to supply their needs, but they were still a lost people. They only partially trusted God's word. They still didn't want to submit to the authority of Moses. Moses was given that authority by God, but they only took part of it. Do we do that? I think we do. Maybe not every minute of every day. But did you notice how King Og was described? The Bible does not say King Og was a... King Og was a formidable giant that fought many battles. It doesn't say he was a giant among giants. He defeated armies. It says none of that. What it says is King Og, as a giant, was nine cubits by four cubits, his bed. His description is his bed. Didn't tell us how many battles he won to get the title of King Og of Bashan. It's just his resting place. Deuteronomy 3.11 says, His bed is decorated with iron, nine cubits by four cubits, 13 and a half feet by six feet. That's his description. In Amos 2.9, it says, Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them, though they were as tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks. Again, it's only a description of his physical size. All the descriptions of King Og, the leader of the giant Rephaim, was about his stature, his resting place. So what do we take away from why King Og was described as his resting place? We know everything that is in the Bible is there for a purpose. So what purpose does his, uh, King Og's description hold for us? Well, think about it. What's your mindset when you hear the word bed. It's a place of rest. It's a place of healing, maybe, because you go to bed, you don't feel well, you heal. It's a place of relaxation. Maybe comfort, contentment. But it's not a place to wage a war. It is not a place to wage a battle. Og knew that if he wanted to, he could defeat the Israelites single-handedly, if he wanted to. But even though he had an army of giants, he was defeated by complacency, by his comfort, lukewarm demeanor. God could have just wiped them out like that if he wanted to, but they're there for a reason. The purpose is for us, so that we can learn what God does. God could have just said, Og and his giants are gone, but he didn't. He was teaching the people of Israel, as well as us, that he's got a greater power. When he commands you to do it, do it. We all question him. I argue with God. I know you find that amazing. But I argue with God. I'm like, I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not enough to fight this or to do this. But I know that God is. Og was defeated by his 
complacency. He was defeated by himself. He was too comfortable in his stature, his past history. He wasn't willing to be challenged. He knew he could win because of his size, his strength, and his might. He was self-satisfied. He was not driven by a hunger for more. Og's defeat because, was because he was complacent. He was comfortable. Have we become comfortable? In Amos 6, 1 and 3 through 4, I love the common English Bible verse because it says we are warned, doom to those resting comfortably in Zion. Doom. That's a strong word. Doom to those who ignore the evil day and make the violent rule draw near, who lie on beds of ivory, stretched out on their couches, eat lamb from the flock and bulls from the stall. I think it's bull calves. But... Wow. Is that in your face? Doom. Doom. It doesn't say, take note, people. You're in trouble if. He says, doom. I don't want to be doomed. I don't want to be doomed to disaster. But if we don't stop being comfortable where we are, we're going to be doomed for disaster. We must, we must breathe in the word of God to light a fire in us. Do you want to be remembered as followers of Christ like King Og is? Oh, she was laid up in her California king bed with her feet up and her head up. And Is that what you want on your headstone? It's not what I want on mine. But there are days that that could be put on mine. Look at Scott and Renee's family. The grandmother, she just, when you were telling that, I'm going, how did God provide such an incredible story, an illustration? She lived her life serving God. She was a testament to the Lord's favor. What a legacy she left. What an encouragement she left for each one of you. She didn't rest on her bed. She got out and she shared Christ with everybody. She shared her family with everybody. That's a legacy to be remembered. Nobody's going to put on her thing that says, oh, she just laid up in bed. She wasn't feeling real good that day. She just laid there. No. They're talking about her fervor for God, her excitement for the Lord, her willingness to share him. That's what I want to be remembered for. That's what she's been remembered for. What a beautiful, beautiful story of a servant of our Most High God. God gives us such clear direction on how we are to live. We must be bold. We must be on fire, excited, and a reflection of God so that we are the difference in the world. There's so many Bible verses that tell us how to live. Proverbs 29:18 says where there is no revelation people cast off restraint 
but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Where does that come from? His word. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Again, very clear instruction. Mark 12, 30 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. That's not a lukewarm description. That's a pretty strong statement. Galatians says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, or kindness, goodness, faithfulness. You notice it says fruit. It's not a bunch of fruits. It's one fruit. That comes from the one fruit. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So you can come to church every Sunday and say, Oh, I'm a good Christian. Doesn't mean your name is written in the book of life. Very clear. Luke 9.23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. It doesn't say, take up your cross whenever you feel like it. Take up your cross today because you got energy today. It says, take up your cross daily. Again, very, very clear direction. God does not mince words with us. He's very clear. He's given us a multitude of verses. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Everybody got that, right? He's very clear here. When you sit at home, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, when you get up, these have to be written on your heart. If they are not written on your heart, you can't do these things. How do you write them on your heart? You get into God's word. Matthew 5, 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. It doesn't say so that you can get somebody to pat you on the back and go, Great job! That was good, Dab. I really like that. No, it's so that they can say, Wow, look what God has done. You all know that my MS really stinks. There are days I can't get out of bed. This morning I got up at 3 a.m. I couldn't get out of bed. I laid there and I'm like, okay, so do I call Kristen and say, you better prepare something real fast? Or do I just sit there and pray? So I laid in bed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I said, God, I can't do this. I cannot get out of bed today. 
And God said, I got this. Trust me. Trust me. I doubted. I was like, I can't do this. I cannot get my legs to move. Tom's not home. He's on a retreat. So I couldn't even get him to come help me push my legs out of bed. I just said, God, you got to do this. I can't. But if you want this message given, you're going to have to get me up. Ten minutes later, I was like, wow, I can feel my legs today. <laughs> God is so good. God is so good. Because I asked him, can you do this? If you want me to give this message today, you need to do this. And he did. Now, this message might be for me. And a lot of it applies to me. But it might be for one of you, too. The Bible verses that we just went through tell you how to be a bold witness for Christ. Not a complacent follower of God. We must be different. We must be different from the everyday person that walks around like you are going, thanks for noticing me. Because that's what Ewer does. For any of you that have had kids and have seen Winnie the Pooh, you know, he just mopes around. Lackadaisical, not caring. I don't want to be Eeyore. I want to be Tigger. I want to bounce and bounce and bounce. Tigger knows his mission. Tigger knows his purpose. His purpose and his mission is to bounce. I had to write this out because I don't remember how it goes. Tigger's purpose in life is to be a bouncy, trouncy, flouncy, pouncy, fun, 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 fun. But the most wonderful thing about Tigger is, is I'm the only one. Each one of us are the only one. He made Mary to be Mary. He didn't make Mary to be Jeff. <laughs> he made each one of you. He made Ida to be Ida. He made Renee to be Renee. He made Ryan to be Ryan. Y'all don't want to be me. It wouldn't fit you. It wouldn't look the same on you that it looks on me. I could never be Ida. Her soft, demure demeanor, her just exuding the love of Christ by silence, by just being. That's not me. But I wasn't designed to be like that. Collectively, as followers of Christ, we are called to be light in a dark world. We can't do that unless we study, breathe in, and stand firm on God's word. We must learn our individual purpose. We all have a purpose. We can't all be the feet of Christ. We can't all be the hands of Christ. Each one of us has our own purpose. You have to find your purpose. You can only do that if you're in a relationship with him, in a conversation with him. Think about it. When you go to talk to your kids and give them instruction or direction, or your parents or your friends, even your coworkers, 
when you go to talk to them, do you find a third disinterested party to say, hey, Scott, can you come here and talk to her for me? Because I want to tell her what God has for her. No. It doesn't work that way. I go to Bridget and I say, hey, Bridget, you need to be on the praise team. You need to be up here so people can see who you are in Christ. But it wouldn't have worked if I sent Jeff or Scott or Arjuna to go to talk to her. You go directly to the person that you're speaking to. You go directly to your kids, directly to your parents, directly to your spouse, directly to your friends and your coworkers. But do we do that for God? Do we go directly to his word? Do we go directly to sit down and say, okay, God, I'm having a really tough day today. Show me how to make it better. Show me my purpose today. Show me who I am in you. He wants to talk to us, people. He wants to hear from us. doesn't matter where you are. He wants to hear from you. And if you're just having a really cruddy day, he already knows it. It's okay to tell him. And if you're feeling really defeated, tell him so that he can lift you up. Because he's going to show you somewhere in his word something to encourage you. Maybe it'll be a whisper. Maybe it'll be a dream that you have that encourages you and lifts you up. Maybe it'll be a friend that comes along and says, hey, Scott, I've been praying for you today. You've been on my heart. Maybe you're going to hear his voice. Maybe you're going to just feel it in your spirit that he says, I got this. It's okay. Like he did with me this morning. He said, I got this, Deb. Stop doubting my power. Stop doubting who I am. Start trusting. So maybe that's where we need to be. In conversation with God. I know that's what he longs for. We can't know who we are if we don't ask him. Have you ever asked God, why did you design me this way? Sometimes I get on people's nerves. But he designed me this way because maybe my next-door neighbor needed to hear what I had to say. Maybe the internet or the neighborhood evangelist in me needed to be next door to them, to remind them. Just so you know, I hate the word evangelist. I picture this Bible-carrying, Bible-thumping, slam it down and say, you're going to hell if you don't wake up. To me, that was an evangelist. For years, I hated that name. My neighbors all said, oh, Debbie's the, the neighborhood evangelist. Then I got more connected to God. I was humbled by that name. It was okay to be the neighborhood evangelist. Because Joseph and Amy told me their view of an evangelist was not the same as my view. My view, as I said, was you're all doomed to hell. 
and shove the Bible in your face because that's not how you win souls. That's not how God wins souls. But their view of an evangelist was somebody that just shares the love of Christ and bubbles over. It can be a little bubbly. So I changed my perspective. Then I started looking up all these evangelist things. Kind of fit. So I was honored and humbled to be called an evangelist. But in order to hear from God, you have to be in a conversation with him. He so wants you there. Totally wants you there. You can be in the tub. You can even be on the toilet. You can be in their kitchen. You can be in your bed. All he wants you to do is talk to him. He's happy to talk with you. He wants to define your purpose. Sometimes you'll hear lyrics of a song that confirms your purpose. Sometimes you'll hear a story on TV or you'll read something in the Bible that confirms your purpose. We each have a purpose. But we cannot sit idly by waiting on the pastor or a Bible study leader to interpret, decipher, and act upon what God is calling us to do. I can't be the one to tell Nate what to do. I can't be the one that does it for him. He's got to do it himself. God is calling each of us to be bold for him. Every one of us has to be bold. But bold is different for everybody. God doesn't need us. But he loves us. He loves to have his children sit at his feet and listen. He's given each of us a purpose unique to our own calling. We cannot be the, somebody else. We must be ourselves. For some, it's to be a quiet reflection of God so that others can see him. For some of us, we're a little more boisterous. But that's what he's called us to be, who he's called each of you to be. He will let you know who that is. But you cannot sit idly by and wait for God to do it or for others to do it. Do you want to be remembered as a follower of Christ who enjoyed relaxing in their king-sized bed with their feet up and the vibration going? Or do you want to be remembered as a child of the Most High King who still sits on the throne? Because, beloved, he does. But to be that, you must be proactive. You can't be like Og, who just rested because he had it covered. Do you want to be associated with complacency and defeat like Og? You have to decide who's going to define you. The world or God? Because there's only two choices. I, for one, want to be associated with God our Father. I don't always make the right choices. I don't always do the right things. And believe me, he lets me know in no uncertain terms that I blew it. 
but he gives me another chance. He never gives up. Never. He keeps pursuing us. He keeps loving us. But we have to, we must, we must be in a relationship with him to hear where he has called us. Not everybody was meant to be like Diana teaching the kids. Personally, I would probably strangle myself if I had to do that. <laughs> I don't have the patience for that. But he's called me to do the outreach, which I love, I'm passionate about. But that's what he's called me to do. He's called each and every one of you for a purpose. But you cannot know that purpose unless you are in his word and in a conversation with him. You didn't know how much impact grandma had on people for your family till you heard about it. People related those stories to you. You would never have known if you weren't in conversation with them. You don't know what God has planned for you until you are in conversation with him. So again, you have to choose. Are you going to be like King Og and just sit back and rest on your laurels and be complacent and lukewarm? Or are you going to be on fire for God? Are you going to be excited to share him with others in the way that he has you called? What's going to be written about you at your celebration of life? Do you want it to be different? Do you want it to be like the world, or do you want it to be how God defines us? You have to make the choice. You can let God define you or the world define you. I choose to let God define me. I pray that you can do the same. Because he's got a great purpose and a plan for all of us. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. Thank you that you love us enough to be in conversation with us. And that you just sit there waiting for us to converse with you. Thank you for divine, designing us to be exactly who you've called us to be. We just ask that you light us on fire. Give us an effervescent urgency to be with you. To just sit and converse with you. Let us not be like King Og and lose the battle before the, it's even begun. Remind us that you define us. That you love us. And that you urgently, urgently want a relationship with us. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves. Remind us that you define us. We just ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.